You are listening to WHOA Podcast, coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. Today on the show, we have my good friend, Newell Fox, serial entrepreneur. This guy is the former owner and CEO of Solutions Bridal, owner and founder of the Florida Bridal Expo, and owner and founder of Blue Sunshine Properties. He's also a professor. He's also uh, (laughs) the president of Newell Fox University. He's also, what else are you? I got a lot of things going on. (laughs) I I got to get focused is what I need to do. And he's the first guest to start the show, standing up anyway. We're trying to get hyped up in here. We gotta get some energy in here. Show 30, Dude, I right? have plenty of energy, but if I stand up, the camera's gonna cut me off and you will have a headless Colin for the entire episode. <laughs> but Ty is back. Ty was sick last week. Yeah. Dude, you're feeling better though, huh? I'm feeling better, yeah. Is there anything going on in the world? This, this episode airs early December. Yeah, December 4th, it's homecoming week this week. This, this airs, yeah, December 3rd, yeah. Monday, December 3rd. Yeah. So it's homecoming, well, it's homecoming week now. Now. This yeah. week, but what's going on in We're December? coming off a win against Florida State, so. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I haven't looked too far into the future yet, so. Yeah. Uh, well, this is a reminder to everybody who listens to this today on Monday, December 3rd, that tomorrow, Tuesday, December 4th, yeah. we're doing our WHOA GNV holiday extravaganza at Krispy Kreme because Ty just had to like throw this out into the world and it somehow came to fruition and it's happening. Yeah. So tomorrow, yeah, I'm pumped. We're gonna That's give away awesome. a lot of donuts. I think we have not put a limit onto how many, but we're thinking it's gonna be thousands. Yeah. <laughs> who gets, start, who gets start to come to that? Just anybody. General, anybody who wants public. to come. Yeah. Anybody wants to come. Newell, you should be there. Come meet people. Get a free get a free glazed donut. We we basically figured out how many donuts we're gonna have to do in order to like turn the hot glaze machine on. That was his objective, and he oh, and he got it done. Yeah, hot now, ten a.m. He got yeah he got it done. So from like ten to noon ish, I'm kind of assuming. Ty and I are gonna Maybe. be out there handing out free donuts to everybody in Gainesville. So everybody should come because I want a, I would like a line from Krispy Kreme all the way down the 13th Street to New Scooters for less. That'd be pretty epic. We could do it. And what's the goal there? Uh, just to thank everybody for listening and for got their it. support and for loving Gainesville as got much it. as we do. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And maybe come out and meet Newell. Yeah, Newell said he's going to be there. You can be there, right? Tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow. tomorrow. December. I, I guess I'll have to be. <laughs> I like Krispy Kremes. Uh, it's so great we can put people on the spot, like right here. Yeah. And they kind of have to commit to things that they weren't expecting to. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, well, dude, thanks for so much. Thanks so much for being on the show. No, I appreciate it. I um, I've seen a lot of your other guests, and um, obviously watch a ton of things on YouTube, and, and constantly trying to to better myself and uh, and absorb uh, knowledge from all walks of life. So I think this is a great thing that you and Ty do. You bring people in here and you're a smart guy for doing it because you get the cheat sheet from everybody else that comes in here and you get all the secrets. Oh, of you course. get how they built it, you get how they made it, you get how, how not to make these mistakes. So it's a melting pot for you, which is great. And I think it's a great melting pot, obviously, for your listeners because they can get little nuggets every single show and it, it advances their business every time they come on because they can hear something and say, oh, I didn't, I didn't hear that two weeks ago. I need to add that to my business. 
and then you and Ty with the show are making people better out there in the community, which is a huge thing. Yeah, how many times have I said this is my school? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, I, I mean, tell people the same thing. It's definitely been an educational ride for me, so it's awesome. Well, dude, so we like to start with everybody's origin story, so you gotta kinda take us way back to, to where you, like, what happened? How did you even become an entrepreneur? How did a guy like yourself get into, like, the bridal industry? Is that a thing? Bridal industry? Sure, wedding industry? Sure, the wedding industry, the bridal industry. <laughs> how, did, how did that come to be? So give us a little background on your story. So um, I'm born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. We, um, I'm living on the first, uh, my parents have a house on the very first hole on the golf course. My best friend's dad, he's an entrepreneur, my dad's an entrepreneur, he brings over an article, I'm 11 years old, and it's an article from a guy in Orlando that goes on the golf courses and gets scuba gear on and goes into the ponds and pulls golf balls out of the ponds. Now when you live in Louisville, Kentucky, Florida is a paradise. You see the palm trees, the ocean, you don't understand it because you don't live there. He shows us this article, it says the guy's pulling these golf balls out of the, out of the pond, he's making two or $3,000 a month, and me and my best friend were in the pond in full camo gear that night, night mission. The pond's about knee deep. We're in there pulling golf balls out of the pond, bring them back to the bathtub. We wash them up, we shine them. I lived on hole number one. My best friend lived on hole number eight. So there were two or three water holes between hole number one and hole number eight. Where did we set up shop? Hole number six. So I've already lost a couple balls if I'm a golfer. By the time I hit hole number six, there's me and my buddy Chris. Hey. Would you like to buy a golf ball? One dollar. Well, two 11-year-olds caused such a disruption at the country club that the golf pro, the head pro said, you guys have got to shut it down. You guys can't sell, <laughs> what, what are you talking about? You can't sell golf balls on the golf course anymore. So what do we do? In all businesses, we had to make a pivot. So we went into the ham and cheese and Dorito business. So now we're selling ham sandwiches on the golf course. <laughs> and after they buy a ham sandwich, it would be like the guy that sells the pens, he opens up his coat jacket and we'd say, you wanna buy a golf ball? <laughs> so that was my first entrepreneurial um, business. Great business, I got zero cost for my inventory. I can go in the pond, I gotta put a little sweat equity in there. I pull the, I pull the golf balls out for free. And you know, we made a couple hundred bucks, but um, learned a lot of ideas and a lot of things that I didn't know about business then that you know now. And so that's kind of how I got my start in the entrepreneurial world. I don't think anybody would do this in Florida, right? Because they, of, of they gators and stuff, they do? Yeah, there's some crazy people out there. I would be so afraid of a gator snagging my ankle. So that's, I'm a golfer <laughs> and I teach and still play professionally. That's still a huge business. People are still <laughs> diving really? for golf balls, yeah. yeah. You can buy these refurbished Go for golf balls online by the bushel or whatever, yeah. and it's it's still thriving. And Ty, we had yeah. all the equipment. I had the reacher. Yeah, you know, I had the you know the golf ball reacher yeah, that we'd course. go in with, and then we would go to the first tee where all the guys would pull their new balls out of the sleeve, and we would pull the sleeves out of the trash, and then we would match up those balls re to that packet yeah, and rebox nice. it. So now it looked like I had brand new golf balls in in the sleeve, and I was selling that on hole number seven. I was getting five fifty for those bad boys, zero cost except for my sweat equity in the pond. Great business. That's awesome. Great business. And then two weeks later, you started selling wedding dresses. No, not at, not at, not at, not at <laughs> like, 11 years old. Not at 11 okay, years okay. old. Yeah. I had to go so to that was, to go to I mean, that's like where you first realized you had these entrepreneurial tendencies. Yep. And then, yep. then where did it go from there? So, um, graduated college. Um, I started working for the man and uh, in a cubicle selling magazine ads, um, we started a professional disc jockey service. 
So my buddy was in that business. He said, hey, I'm sick and tired of you know not making tips. The owner's keeping all of our money. We're out here DJing these weddings. We're, we're, you know, I need to make some more money. I said, well, let's start our own business. He looks at me, he says, well, I don't have any money. I said, well, how much money does it cost to go buy DJ equipment? I don't know, $1,500, $2,000. The next day, we're in a car, we're driving to Tampa. We go down there, buy two speakers, the setup, the, 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 the CD player. We're booking weddings two weeks later telling people, hey, we're a professional disc jockey service. How would you like to have the owners of the company come out and do your wedding for you? And we started doing weddings. And then that pivoted into getting into the wedding retail apparel business because my buddy was working for the competitor. He thought we could do something on a little bit more upper scale, um, a little bit more customer service driven and we opened up with IOF, and you know what IOF is, ignorance on fire. I didn't know any better. <laughs> we maxed out the credit cards, we signed the lease, we didn't know what we were doing, we were too dumb to not know, and we just kind of figured it out as we went. I knew I knew people, I knew I knew how to sell, and I knew I could train people how to sell so they could sell our product for us. We opened up in Gainesville in July of 02. 14 months later, we had no money. We decided to open up our second store in Winter Park so we could go even further into debt, and that store, started to make some money and we finally figured it out. And then 13 years later, I just exited that business um, June of last year with a successful exit, we sold the business. And we can talk a little bit about how to set your business up and how to sell it. Because I heard right from the beginning, hey, when you get in, have the end in mind. I'm like, I don't even have a business plan. How do I have an end in mind? What are you talking about? And now I know because I talked to a business broker and she says, this is what your business needs to look like when you go to sell it. And so we started putting those pieces in play for how to sell a business. So for those of you that are entrepreneurs listening to this, you've gotta know what the business looks like from a tax return standpoint. It looks good to you, you think you know how much it's making, but someone's gonna view that completely differently. And you need to be talking to the guys that know how to sell your business so you can successfully do it when it's time to do it. And yeah. most, sorry to cut you off, most people sell it at the wrong time. They're either too old and there's a sickness in the family and they have to sell it, they're forced to sell it, or they sell it on a downward trend because they're like, this baby's just gonna keep going. I'm gonna keep making more money and there's eventually gonna be a peak where it levels off. You gotta, you gotta sell your business before you hit that peak. So you think, that you think everybody should have an exit strategy? Like what if, I mean, because well, I, 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 I'm just like reflecting back on New Scooters for Less, right? And I'm like, I'm thinking about this company where I seized an opportunity, you know, I saw I saw an opportunity, wanted to help college students get to and from class, re recognize these transportation issues at the University of Florida. I'm like, all right, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna get into this, did it, and it, it's still doing really, really well. Mm -hmm. Like we're having one of our greatest years to date, I mean, I don't necessarily have any type of exit strategy in mind. Yeah, and I'm in it, I'm with that said, I'm even working on a new business now. You know what I mean? But I'm not necessarily like, "Oh, let me think about the process of selling new scooters for less or am I going to hold on to this for another 40 years or am I going to hand it down to my kids or you know, I'm like I'm just not thinking that far into the future and you think I should? Yes, so have you ever seen a business go out of business? Yes, plenty okay. of times. <laughs> so their exit strategy was forced on them versus them forcing an exit strategy. Okay. So you either work it till you die or you eventually have some sort of exit strategy beforehand. How do you maximize your best year ever? What's it look like on the books right now to someone that wants to buy a business that has a revenue stream coming in? Is this your year to sell it? 
Should you be thinking about that? Because if you don't have an exit strategy, what's my exit strategy in my marriage? What were my vows? Till death do us part. That's an exit strategy. I won't be married anymore once I die. You don't, you don't want to have that same strategy in a business. Because if I die and Ty takes it over, what if he doesn't know how to run the business? So the exit strategy has to be before, again, sickness, death, or declining sales. So when should somebody be planning this strategy? Again, like as soon as have, they get into you it? know, they say have the end in mind when you start. I didn't. I, I wasn't around the right people to tell me that and continue to hear that. YouTube wasn't popular in, in 02, so I wasn't getting any more information <laughs> on how to run a business and how to do it. So I think you gotta you gotta align yourself with people that are in your business, and you gotta be talking and having these conversations. Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? What's your exit strategy? Well, and they tell you a little bit about it. So I think for you, and let's just talk talk about new scooters for less you wanna look at kind of a three year period and you wanna be talking to a business broker because they're gonna be able to tell you when they look at your books, this is, this is when you're gonna look the best. Maybe you should sell, and can, can you repeat 2019 like you did 2018? Yeah, I think I can. We need to start putting a packet together right now then to looking to sell. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Something I've definitely never put any thought into. I'm just like, but I've heard it, you know, you hear that term exit strategy a lot. Like, hey, what do you have an exit plan? Do you have an exit strategy? And they're just like, no, I'm just, I, I guess it's just because I've always been super go with the flow. Right. I mean, even with the new company, it came, even this year, the new company kind of came up by accident. You know what I mean? It was like an, an opportunity. And those are the best businesses. An opportunity presented itself. I'm like, nobody else is doing it as uniquely as this. Right. There's, there's, this is how an agency is defined. We're not even doing any of these things. We're doing, you know, X, Y, and Z instead. And, and an opportunity presented itself. And that's the way it happens. You, you find pain in the market and you say, nobody else is doing this. How do I do it better? And now all of a sudden you've created a business that helps people out, takes care of the pain, and, and, and if you can make money at it, then you've got those three things are really, you're really working with fire there. So did you know with Solution, it's Solutions Bridal, right? Mm -hmm. That you were going to sell? Like, like, so, because you say you gotta start putting the plan into place. Right, so I had the conversation. I called the business broker in Orlando. I said, hey, we wanna sell our business. And before she knew what I did, it's the funniest story, she ripped, um, she ripped the wedding industry and retail. She's like, this is, these are the worst business. I don't know how we got on that topic, but after she ripped that for about five or 10 minutes, I said, well, guess what? That's my business. I'm in the wedding retail apparel business. And she's like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And I said, no, no, okay, no. I but said, did you reach out to her? Yes. Okay. I did. I reached out and to her. I said, hey, I'm thinking about selling. What does this look like? What does it need to look like on paper? Because people kept telling me, this is what your tax returns need to look like. Because when someone's going to look at your business and buy it, this is what they need to see. But why were you interested in selling? Just because you had a gut feeling that this was a good time, like stuff going on at home, or retail, did you have like a competitor, somebody reaching out to you? All of the above. So retail, retail margins are getting squeezed. My rent's going up, my payroll's going up, health insurance is going up. My product, for example, here with you, your scooter, you're, you're buying a scooter for $1,000 and you're selling it for 2,000. All of a sudden, you're buying it for 1,200 and selling it for 2,000. All of a sudden, you're buying it for 1,400 and selling it for 2,000. So I'm getting squeezed on that. All the while, rent's going up, payroll's going up, and health insurance is going up. So I see to myself, hey, it's evident, I'm going in the wrong direction. I need to exit out of this business. So I call her up, call the business broker. What does this need to well, look would like? Would that be because you did not see 
increasing the prices or anything like so i mean using the scooter example you didn't see taking the scooter from 2000 to 2200 or to 2500 couldn't because the guy across the street was already selling it for he was actually discounting it for 1900 so now i'm getting the same now, product at the same product so now i'm getting even squeezed more because my competitor it's a, it's a race to the bottom on who can sell it the cheapest which you don't want to be in that race everybody loses there and I just saw where we were getting squeezed and we had to get out. And I'm having a conversation daily with my CPA and he's giving me great advice. Hey, this is what I see on the books. Always have a good CPA. You entrepreneurs that are listening out there, you've gotta have somebody that can look at the books. I was never good in accounting, I should have been. I didn't know how to read the numbers properly. I didn't add much to the conversation with my CPA, but I hired one of the best ones so he could give me the right advice so I could make the right decisions. Yeah, vital to your team. I say CPA, CPA and, and attorney. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so walk me, continue to walk me through this. So you're, so you're I, t- I, reached I, out to this broker. I talked to her, she says, all right, it's, um, let's see, what is it? It's late 16, 2016, and she says, let's get your books in order. Let's start to, and, and she gives me specific tips. Okay, hey, you're you're writing off your car this way, let's put this over here. You're you're doing this with some of your numbers, let's put that, let's move that over here. And this this is a whole nother show, how to, how to work these numbers and do it properly. And, and all this stuff's above board. But she starts to tell me how this needs to look like on paper. So we start to live that way that she's told me that we should live from 2016 till we sell it in um, 2018. We get our tax returns correct. She puts it on the market, people start looking at it. I get on the phone with people, tell them how the business works, this is what it looks like, this is why you wanna buy it, and um, we had a couple full price offers. They fell through, the next one fell through, the next one fell through, and then finally we got somebody that came in. It was a cash offer, which was beautiful because I didn't have to do the financing with them, the whole back end, SBA loan, that whole that whole rigmarole, but it worked out very well. But the only reason we were able to sell it is because she gave me great advice and told me what it needed to look like. I stumped him. I, did you I guys, like, did you all just hear that on the podcast? That was two seconds of silence. <laughs> I had Colin impressive. silent for two seconds. He doesn't have a follow-up question right now. He's thinking about how do I sell my business right now? <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> How's that business doing today? Now fast forwarding. They're, they are, I mean, I don't, I don't know what their books look like. They're yeah. still in business. They're still doing well. Um, it's funny, my, my VP of Solutions Bridal and my manager both left Solutions Bridal six months after the new owner mm. took over and opened up their own store um, in Winter Park, so about 20 miles away. So I think the business is still doing well. Um, they're still there. You know, I was an absentee owner so I think the new owner was able to come in and kind of take the salary away from the VP and the manager uh, because she's now putting her own hours in. I wasn't attached to the store because I couldn't sell the end client. Um, I, was, I was more on the operation side, buying, managing, help managing the books, the strategy of where we were going. My sales staff was in there selling the product to the end, end, end buyer. Where do you go with that? <laughs> well, it's an interesting, retail's always interesting. And I, going back to golf, um, you know, I ran a golf course in Vegas for a couple of years and that industry has been squeezed, mm. you know, big time and with all the discount, search engines, all that type of stuff. Where was the squeeze coming from, um, you know, kind of how you, as you saw your exit strategy, maybe from 2014 to 16 to 18, is it the online boutiques? Is it the, you know, just, the availability to kind of customize your wedding dress, customize everything. Where do you think that that first started and where do you think, it, you know, 
in other businesses, like kind of in the scooters, and we haven't talked about this with like limes and birds and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. You know, there's always things that you don't expect that are coming. Um, what was kind of the first thing you saw? Was it just the books where you're starting to make less money or was it the online stuff? Um, you know, online is um, is crushing retail across the, the globe right now. I mean, yeah. Amazon is putting a hurting on anybody. So um, Amazon wasn't selling wedding dresses. We had We had a nice product that wasn't being sold all over the place. We had some exclusivities in it. My main problem was they would still shop me on that that one product, going back to the scooter for $2,000, that example, they would still shop me on that, but my payroll was going up, my um, my rent was going up, and my health insurance was going up. And so those three things, with not being able to raise my prices with the inflation rate kind of going up alongside of that, we were just getting squeezed. And my CPA's like, this is gonna come a point where you're taking money out of the business right now, in another six or eight, 10 months, you're gonna start having to put money into it. And so I got on that fast track to getting out of that situation very quickly by evaluating it, getting it listed, getting it with a broker and selling it. I mean, the fact that it was cash is pretty rare, you would say? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I think we're in that time right now. I mean, the economy's good. So I think we caught the, the peak of the market right here just in the last, these last 24 months have been really good. These people had um, had come into some money. They had it. They were ready to rock and roll. The wife wanted to buy. She wanted to be in the wedding industry. Um, convinced her husband to get in the wedding industry, and they <laughs> and they and they purchased us. So yeah, most of the time, people. And I was talking to Iptu about this earlier. You got to have a down payment to, and then and then go borrow the rest of it to do a real estate play or to buy a business. Something like that most traditional ways of purchasing a business is going to be Done. levered and is going to have debt on it. Okay. So now, fast forward, like. You sell that business. What happened next? So, because you're—I mean—you're involved in a lot of different things, right? And so you and like, I have been talking about this, and and Ty, you'll appreciate this. So, for the last five years, just like you would in golf, you're studying good golfers, right? Because you're trying to learn the tricks of the trade. I studied—I started studying the rich. So, for the last five years, I'm like, what are the rich doing? And 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 when I say the rich, I'm talking about net worth individuals that I see on another level from where I'm at and where I'm trying to get. And I started studying these guys and every single one of them in their portfolio had real estate. I said, okay, so this is interesting. So this guy owns this business. You hear his, you you know his business. It's a household name, his business, but he's making all his money in real estate. How, why is that? And you start to do the research. And so you and I have talked about this, Colin. I started looking into getting into real estate. How do I get into real estate? I've got to save up. $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 to go make my first purchase. So I started learning about the real estate game, talking to people that were in real estate. How does this work? How do you make a purchase? What's the right time to buy? And we made our first real estate purchase about two years ago. So I wanted- Ever? um, Yeah, besides for a house, besides for my personal house, yes, which is a house- You're talking about as an investment. As an investment. Renting it out. So let me, I'm gonna quiz you and Ty. Is a house an investment? Is it a liability or an asset? Ty, liability or an asset? I would call it a liability. Liability, Colin? Liability as long as I owe the bank. (laughs) You're exactly right. And a lot of you guys listening to the show think my house is an asset. It's not, it creates no cash flow for you. You are paying for it every single month. So I wanted passive income coming in. I wanted to purchase real estate because for all you entrepreneurs that are listening to this, it's about revenue streams. 
you have to have multiple revenue streams coming in. If I go to work and I get a paycheck, that's one revenue stream. But how do I make money while I'm at work? I was telling Ip to this before we came in. I got to have another revenue stream, another two revenue streams, another three revenue streams coming in that can pay me. You've got several businesses going right now. Those are multiple revenue streams. But is that the right thing to do? I kind of got into this with Richard last week because he's had his hands dipped into several things, multiple companies that have gone on the NASDAQ. And one one key term that I kept seeing pop up was simultaneously, simultaneously. He was you know doing all these different things. Mm-hmm. But, but, but I'm kind of glad this is coming up again because it's, the irony is you hear that, like you should have several different revenue streams, but then as an entrepreneur, you hear the, well, you should really stay focused on one thing and do one thing really, really well, which those are two very opposite <laughs> things. Like, yeah, I don't, I'm not an entrepreneur that can focus on one thing because I'm all over the place. My personality's orange. I'm constantly going things. I'm going to get but bored does, does very that re- quickly. Does that prevent you from doing one thing really, really awesome? Of course. Okay. Of course it does but that's the way I'm built. So going back to the- But to it's, the, not a, it's not a weakness. It could be. Okay, you could I'm, just, I'm just wondering how you, how you perceive so, it. So let me, let, me let, me, let me say this. So passive income, Richard, had, you said he had several things going on at a time. Passive income to me is something that you don't have to show up for, right? I don't want an employee-driven revenue stream because I'm gonna have to manage these employees over here. I'm gonna have to manage these employees over here. I've got two or three things going on. I need a vending machine that I can go buy and take $500 a week out of because it sits there and it gives people bottled water and Snickers bars. I want a storage unit that I can get a check from because people are paying to have that storage unit every single month and I've got one employee sitting over there they can write people up for a new storage unit. I want a rental home that they pay $2,300 a month for every single month and they write the check and I don't have to show up to that house nine to five. I don't have to work at that house. That's different to me than starting a business that has 15 employees that generates income and now I gotta go manage those 15 employees. To me, those are two different passive incomes in my opinion. How you title those or how you think of those, that's up to you. But as you entrepreneurs listen to this, there's passive income with little or no employees, and then there's not so much passive income with the business that you have to manage people that you have to show up at. So what are the types of passive income you have established? We're, um, we're, we're looking into and have, um, have some plans right now to do storage units. Okay. Um, storage units are a great asset class. They're a very low default rate, meaning people pay for them and they continue to pay for them. It's a, it's a better default rate than even rental income. But here at the University of Florida, rental income is good because Students are coming in, their parents are guaranteeing it, so you're, that's a good asset class as well. But storage units, I was in the vending machine business. Um, we had one vending machine. It was in a very low traffic area, and I had a business partner on it, and we were pulling about 17 or $20 a week out of this vending machine. But I, I wanted to go, the thought was, go get 40 and 50 vending machines. Well, then that was gonna create work where we had to either get a truck to go fill all those 40 or 50 vending machines. So again, all these things, you've gotta figure out how much work do I wanna put into that and how much juice can I squeeze out of that. Vending machine business, I talked to guys in Chicago and New York before we got into it and I said, how many machines do you have? And these guys these guys were running a full on business. I mean, they had four or five trucks that were going and filling, filling these vending machines and taking money out of it. We never got to that level. We were in it for a year, sold the thing, and we were out. But those types of businesses can be good because it's not employee driven. That that machine won't call in sick. I don't have to pay it health insurance and it's never gonna ask for a raise. 
So th those, those can be good businesses. The vending machine, just you press the button and it kicks out and you can make money off of it. But the, the one thing I wanna tell most of your entrepreneurs here is going back to the study in the rich for five years, you've gotta have real estate in your portfolio. These guys that have grown it and have done it and have a high net worth have passive income coming in from real estate. So then I always heard people talk about that. I'm like, okay, great, I wanna buy real estate. Now how do I do that? If you're listening to this show, you've gotta, you've gotta save ten to $20,000 and you've gotta be looking for real estate like a woman looks for shoes. You gotta be looking every day. Like a good woman looks for shoes and shops for shoes, you gotta look for real estate every single day. So once you've saved up your money, you can start looking at deals and figure out what's gonna be a good purchase for you. Go buy a quad, four doors for $150,000 that gives you $2,000 in income a month and you put $20,000 down on that. That's a good purchase and then you buy another one, and then you buy your third one, and then you buy your fourth one, and you build that portfolio that way. And so now you have the real estate thing going on. Mm -hmm. Is that it? Is that your primary um, yeah. focus real right estate, now? Real estate and storage is our primary thing. I teach at University of Florida. Every semester I go in and teach seniors that are getting ready to graduate how to navigate the interview process, how to sell themselves, what's their why. Um, it's amazing when I go over to the University of Florida and teach, I, I did an example in class the other day, 75 kids, stadium, classroom seating. I said, all right, everybody take out your phone. And I want you to call, and as soon as I said call, the whole class went, <sighs> and, 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 people, and people laughed, just like you just laughed. And I said, well, well, right here like in the text, front, what, right? what are you laughing for? They're like, well, why, why, one kid said, why would I call somebody? This is the society we're in right now. Why would I call somebody? I said, well, I'm gonna get to that here in a second. Pick up the phone, you can call your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your roommate. And I want you to talk to them for two minutes. Don't tell them why, don't tell them why you're calling them. Okay, ready, go. So they start calling, we go through the whole exercise. Two minutes later, I say, okay, stop. Right here in the front, what, who'd you talk to? I called my mom. What was the first thing she said to you? She said, why are you calling me? How many of you, raise your hand, raise your hand if that was the response of your roommate, your brother, your sister, aunt, your uncle, they said, why are you calling me? Half the room raised their hand. And these kids are gonna go in and sit down in front of somebody for two hours, present themselves, sell themselves on why this company should hire them, and they can't talk to their own mother for two minutes. Right. And the reason is, is because Harvard Business School did a study, if you're 14 to 22, and I think this, that should be even larger than that, you actually text more in a day than you speak the English language. So well, how am I gonna sell myself in an interview? And we're, we're, we're diving all over the place now. Yeah, we went from real it. estate to, <laughs> to studying the rich, and now we're, now we're in, but if I'm gonna start a business, I mean, when I go to the bank and ask them for a loan, this goes to selling yourself, right? How am I gonna sell myself in an interview if I'm a 21-year-old college graduate? Everybody graduated from college. Everybody's resume looks the same. Oh, you have experience? Ooh, you did some volunteer. Oh, wow, you did an internship? Well, you, you, you're, you're a unicorn now. No, everybody did that. So how do I separate myself in the interview? And so we talk about that. How do you sell yourself? And I tell them. So how do you do it? Give us the keys. Well, you've gotta get off your phone and you gotta be able to communicate the English language like we're doing. You cannot text. And I tell them, I pull my phone out, I say the interview's not gonna be like this and I act like I'm texting them and then I wait 
and, and we're doing this interaction where they're not going to be texting you the interview. You have to look them in the eyes and communicate your message and tell them for two and a half hours why they want to hire you and why you're different than the others. And that's that's another show in itself. How do you how do you get that interview? Because I talk about being first or last. Be the very first interview. You think about this right now if you're listening. You remember your first kiss, your first car, your first date. You probably remember your last kiss, your current car. All the ones in between, they get a little fuzzy. Okay. So so if, I, if I'm the first to interview, I've got a much better chance of them remembering me than the one in the middle. So I teach them how to be the first interview or the last interview. If you're going to the career fair, be the very first dude there at 8.30. Pick the three or four places you wanna to go to, be there first, and then come back at five when the whole thing's done and be the last person because you're gonna remember your first and last. So I teach, teach a, little, a couple of little things like that. But the one big thing I teach is what's your why? Why do you wanna work for us? And I give this example and this is a hypothetical. Do you, want, I, you wanna know what my answer was? What? Because they, they were asking me this question, right? They're like, so Colin, like, why do you wanna work for us? And I was like, um, I don't. <laughs> like that, that's, that's like one of the light bulb moments for me was when I realized that I was never gonna work for anybody because these guys were asking me this question, like, why do you wanna come work for us? And my answer was, I don't. I don't. And then that's when like the other light bulb start, started going off and I started paying more attention. I just realized I was never gonna work for anybody. And that's when I realized the, the transportation issue and then decided to dive into something I didn't know anything about. And, change ultimately change the culture of an entire town <laughs> and, and, and and most people will sit in an interview and they'll they'll accept a job and the and the company hasn't even told them what they're going to pay them because they don't they don't know how to go negotiate money talk about money because money was a bad subject in their house growing up a penny saved was a penny earned so however money was treated when you grew up in your house is how you're going to treat it when you get married, when you go to an interview, when you have to ask for a raise. So I'm trying to teach them how to have these tough conversations of what does this look like? God forbid you do get the job. What are you gonna do in 90 days when it's time to ask for an evaluation or ask for a raise? So we, we talk about a lot of those things. So what do you tell them? Now I'm like super interested. On which part? <laughs> I mean, if, if a team member was gonna go ask their employer for a raise, how should it be done? You gotta bring revenue to the conversation. Meaning, hey, Colin, I just wanted to let you know out here on the service deck, um, over the last 90 days, I've actually um, showed you two different ways for us to make and create more revenue out there in this in this one room. So this, how big is, how big is this room out here? This 40, let's just yeah, say it's 40 it's by 40. 5,000 square feet. 5,000 square feet. So I've now shown you how to make an extra $500 a week out of this 4,000 square feet. And I'm gonna show you that on paper. I'm gonna bring this piece of paper to this conversation when we do our evaluation and, and ask for that raise. And, you know, so there's, there's multiple ways of doing it. Most of my employees always came to me and said, hey, I've been here for six months. It's time for a raise. And I'm thinking, nope. no, it's not. You've, you've stayed at the same level the entire six months. Okay, that's what, that's what happens done? all the time. Right. I so deserve it. I've been what, here for six months breathing. That's what not to do. Right. So don't do that. Don't just come in here and say, hey, I've been here for a while doing the same average job. Bring revenue to the conversation. Hey, did you know that I, when I told you to get the plastic bags in the back, Colin, that actually saves us an extra 50 bucks a month now because we switched from the blue to the green. Bring revenue to that conversation. Okay? Smart. That's, that's, that's the first thing I would say for that. That never happens. 
Right, because people don't know how to, don't know how to have the money conversation. This will be the episode that every employer <laughs> hates. All, our audience will share with every single one of their team members. Yeah, get ready. I mean, really. <laughs> I mean, which is great because yeah, no, I mean, awesome. I think that's exactly what needs to be heard. Because I can't tell you how many people do exactly just that. Hey, I've been I, I I'm entitled to it because I've been here for so long. Yeah. Like, and here's the other thing, you know, screw up. We're, talk, we're talking about we're talking about interviewing. We're talking about so now now you go out and get a job, right? So if I want to go buy real estate, they're not going to ask me what my GPA is. They're going to ask you what your liabilities and your assets are. Mm -hmm. So you need to learn. Rich Dad Poor Dad does a great job of explaining this. Robert Kawasaki, if you want to grab his book, um, what do my assets and my liabilities look like? Because the bank doesn't care if I have a 4.0 GPA or a 3.5 GPA. They want to know, can I put the money down and can I pay for it month after month? Hell, do employers care? No, I don't. I don't look at GPAs. I look, can you communicate a message in front of me? And how are you going to sell me in this interview? Because if you can sell me in this interview, that's probably a good indication of how you're going to sell my client out there on the sales floor. If you don't follow up, if you didn't check in before the interview, if you didn't write me a handwritten thank you card after the interview, if you didn't close me at the end of the interview, this is why I want the job, that's how you're going to treat my client. So if you do those things, we used to not even call someone back if they just sent a resume in. Unless they called to see if we got the resume mm -hmm. or unless they showed face, I talk about that a lot, showing face um, to get a job. And now we're talking about how to get a job, but and we're talking to entrepreneurs about that. But I mean, it sounds like a great class because frankly, I don't know if there's any, you know, I've never even heard of classes teaching this kind of thing and it's something that definitely needs to be taught. Yeah, I mean, the University of Florida doesn't have a class that covers it, so that's why they bring me in. <laughs> which is amazing. So you put $100,000 into your college education and now it's your senior year and they bring me in for four hours to teach you how to go out and interview. Well, it's funny because I mean, <laughs> yeah. when I go, I go to UF and I, and I speak and you know, talk to groups of students and stuff and I, I might've talked about it briefly on the podcast before, but you know, I'm always talking about how are you gonna make yourself stand out? I, I reflect to the, the a movie Legally Blonde where she hands the resume and it smells like perfume and it's pink or something. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, hey, like it, it sounds ridiculous, but it actually stood out. You know, and make it's like, how, how are you gonna make yourself unique? Some of the people, and I don't know how you feel about the whole resume thing. Like I've, I've been on a push a lot to really like, especially with the new agency. I mean, we have personal, personal branding as like one of our pillars. I'm more of like, hey, build, build ColinAustin.com buy tyrecurrian.com, build your portfolio, you know what I mean? Show show your work, let let that be your resume and mm -hmm. direct traffic there because the first thing that I'm gonna do if I'm interested in like knowing, if I'm gonna hire Newell Fox, the first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go online and I'm gonna Google Newell Fox. <laughs> right. right. I'm gonna look at your social media and what does that look like? I'm gonna see what you're involved in. I'm gonna look at your website and see your portfolio, you know, like. Yep. Well, and you talked about the the perfume and Legally Blonde. I had a girl that um, went down to Disney to get the um, the internship down there for their, their wedding side of, the, of, of Disney, Disney's weddings. She was one of 5,000, and I don't know if they fluffed that number or not, one of 5,000 candidates just for an internship. You don't get paid, internship. And she took a, a glass slipper and I, t I kept telling her, go down there and show face people. And they're like, what do you mean? Like, do I go to Disney to the front door and knock on the door? Yeah, you ain't getting in there with a phone call. Go to the front door, ask the guy, where's the office? What door is that? So she goes down there, gets in the office, gets in front of the right lady and has a glass slipper in a box and hands it to the lady and says, I want to, I want to, I want to, 
I want to do my internship here at Disney. They have a conversation. If you show face, if you show up, that five minutes turns into an interview. It turns into 30 minutes, and people don't realize that. Come professionally dressed. Come with a resume. When you go in there, you're going to get an interview right then and there, and you're going to separate yourself from the group. So I love the Legally Blonde um, analogy. And plus, if I'm, you've interviewed people before. If I do interviews from Monday through Friday, and I got eight interviews on Monday, eight on Tuesday, eight on Wednesday, by the time I ask on Thursday morning, hey, tell me about a time when you ran into a difficult situation, I am bored out of my gore. I'm looking for a pattern interrupt or an answer or someone to bring me a perfume on a resume because I'm just bored. So I'm looking for somebody different. That's why I tell them to go first or last in the interview process. So these are all good tips as far as how do you separate yourself from the group? Because again, everybody's resume looks the same. Everybody graduated from the University of Florida. Everybody did an internship. Everybody did volunteer hours. Yeah. Now what's different? Well, I just, and I reflect back on the people that I've hired. You know, like one, when we were looking for our first uh, marketing manager, the person to come in and like take the lead on this stuff, I mean, I had people hand me full, like full thought out marketing plans. Being like, hey, I came to this interview, but like, here's the, here's the marketing plan that I put together for you. I was like, damn, I mean, like, a whole plan, like, professionally done. Yeah. I, I looked at it and I was like, the plan's terrible, so I'm not gonna hire you. <laughs> but like, but it got my attention, and sure. at least I like definitely, you know, looked, thought of it. The one person that I did hire sold herself. She had a whole like graphic design done up that was like, hey, did you hear that the number one marketing creator in Gainesville is available for hire and had like arrows drawn with a map and it, and it sold herself. It was like, this is why you should hire me. Mm. And it was, I mean, she had a resume too, but it was right on top, you know? See, I almost call that, and what we call it is a brag book. So we, we uh, I'll teach people to second or third interview, bring your brag book. And a brag book is just kind of a highlight of what you've done in your career. Because if I can look to the past, that's gonna be a good indicator of the future. So if you were a number one salesperson, if you were a valedictorian, if you um, were this and this and this, you put that in your brag book and you present that at the end as well. Here's, I just wanna go through my brag book and highlight a couple things in here on why you wanna hire me. We also teach people how to bring 90 day plans of action to the interview, final interview. Hey, this is what I see myself doing for new scooters for less in the first 90 days. Mm, yep. I like that. Well, and I had a, I had a tech one time who was, he was getting, he was moving to New York and he brought me his resume. He's like, hey boss, like would you, would you look this over and give me, give me your thoughts on this? And so I'm like, I'm looking at it and I'm like, Brian, like, I'm like, this is, this is a great resume, but like, it just doesn't stand out. And he was like, what do you think I should do to stand out? And I mean, and while, you know, while working here, he was also a helicopter mechanic in the United States Air Force. I was like, Put on your uniform, hold a wrench, stand in front of a helicopter, take a picture, and attach it to the resume. I was like, I'm hiring that guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, just those those little things that you can do to make yourself unique and stand out. Because the truth, I mean, when you get these employers, they get just piles and piles of resumes. What's going to make it stand out? Uh, you know, over everybody else. That's I just. And constantly telling people to be unique. And I think that's what has allowed me to really develop some of our core values here at the shop. You know, that number one core value of like, and not me, but my team of, you know, creating and recreating the ultimate customer experience. That thing is the thing that makes us unique and makes us really well known across the nation. So be unique. That comes from me. Be unique. Um, <laughs> one of the things, I, the other thing I wanted to cover was um, we talked about 
20 or 30 minutes ago, a lot of guys will come on shows or I'll listen to different things online and, and they just kind of give this 30,000 foot view of how do you do this? So I want to get a little granular, if you'll allow me to, just on kind of yeah, how, to, how to save money and, and how to make that first real estate purchase. So um, one of the things I want to talk about is if you're, if you're making money and you're bringing revenue in from your job, and you're, and you're saying to yourself, how do I go out and make my first purchase? How do I buy a vending machine? How do I buy a storage unit? How do I buy real estate? You've gotta be able to live off of 80% of your income, and you've gotta be able to save 20%. Now what most people do is, the 29th, the 30th of the month comes up, we have no more cash left in the month, and what do we do? We get out the piece of plastic, we charge the rest of the month, and then we didn't have enough money to pay for that, and that goes in and rolls into next month. So you've gotta get disciplined. People don't have an income problem, people have a spending problem. So if you can live off of 80% of your income, and I challenge everybody listening to this right now, live off 80%, save the 20%, that's how you quickly get to that first 10,000, 15,000, and 20,000 in savings to go out and make your first purchase. Dave Ramsey's got a great program on that, how to, how to live off 80%. Um, Robert Kawasaki talks about that as well. Grant Cardone, those three guys are guys that I listen to that have mentored me, and um, they talk about how to get to that. Keep going. Um, <laughs> tell me more. Tell me so, more. so you've saved up, now you've saved up that first 10 or 15, you've been looking for real estate, you've been driving around town and, and calling realtors, calling guys that own different properties. And I, what I did was I was buying stuff that wasn't even listed on the market. I would identify a place I wanted to buy, I would look him up on the tax deed, I would find out who the guy was, and I would just put him on the drip campaign. He's getting pictures of my family once a quarter, of us at Halloween, hey, Newell Fox, Newell Fox family, just wanted to introduce myself. I saw that you have a piece of property on University Avenue. If you ever are interested in selling it, I, I'm looking for a mentor, I'd like to know more about the property, I'd like to purchase it, let me know. Are these residential places? Residential. Or? Um, I'm not buying a lot of commercial, residential and multifamily right. is, is what I'm trying to do. And so, lo and behold, after two or three years of putting people on drip campaigns, then I'm having conversations with them. Hey, let's meet at Starbucks. And I'm building relationships with some of these guys. And eventually, they're going to start selling me pieces of their portfolio. And when they think about selling it, they're going to sell it to me because they get a card in the mail from me once a quarter, a beautiful picture of my family and my wife and my kids and they, I've built that relationship with them. So that's how you're identifying and finding the piece, because most people are like, okay, great, I got $20,000, I don't know how to buy this piece of real estate. Well, you need to start talking to people that do know how to buy real estate because you're just not educated on it yet. You put $100,000 into a college education, you've put no time and money into how to go out and make a great investment. So you gotta get around the right people to have that conversation. I think a lot of it goes back to the same thing you were talking about with the cell phones and the kids getting outside of their comfort zone. There's this, there's a comfort behind texting. You know, there's a comfort behind these things. Like, what, how, how do you tell somebody to step outside of their comfort zone? Uh, how, do, how does one go about making, building that relationship? You know, how to, with With someone that you're trying to buy real estate from? Yeah, or just. I mean, again, and I, I, I tell the kids, I, I teach at UF, two weeks in a row, so I'll come in on a Tuesday and then there's a gap. I tell them when I leave class the first Tuesday, I say, listen, the next 10 people that call you, or the, excuse me, the next 10 people that text you, pick up the phone and call them. And the whole class goes, oh, you've gotta get in the habit of communicating a message. So if I can't talk to somebody right now, this age group that, that right now who owns real estate is 50 years and older right now. If someone's got a nice portfolio, they have built it, they're not young, they're older, and they, they communicate through text, but they like they love the eye to eye, go to Starbucks. 
I'm gonna help mentor you. Let me let me sell you my sell you a little bit of my portfolio now. So that's how that's how I built those relationships. Is just grassroots, getting in front of them. Let's go grab a coffee and look at them eye to eye and saying, Hey, teach me a little bit more about this. How did you get started? Because people love to tell their story, and so they would tell me their story about real estate, and then I would kind of say, Okay, what, how am I gonna cherry pick this? And what am I gonna buy from this guy? And what am I gonna do here? And that's how I kind of did it. The problem is, and you and I have kids. Your kids have tablets. Are they on the screen? Oh yeah, yeah, big time. And, and why don't we take them away from them? Because it's easier to have them staring at the screen and being quiet than running around and doing God knows what. When we were growing <laughs> so up, we'd, we'd go outside. Yeah, and they said they said the average uh, the average two year old right now knows how to swipe because their parents are putting that monitor in front of them. And you think about how sick it is. Most of us will sit in front of the TV at home and watch the TV. We've got our tablet out. We're swiping through that. We've got our phone out, and we're got three screens in front of us mm-hmm. and so it's 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 and it's just technology it's the route we're going but challenge well, your kids to to get off the screens or only do it on the weekend or whatever because there's no eye contact anymore they're not looking at each other they're not you know and, and, and parents are at fault too you'll go out with your kids and you'll i'll meet ty for the first time and both of my kids i'm going to introduce both of my kids to ty they're not just going to stand there and not they are adults in my in my mind that is a teaching moment ty this is my daughter ansley ty this is my son indy and i'm going to make sure that they shake hands with them and they look him in the eye and if they don't do it correctly i'm going to correct them on them how else are they going to know and most of them wouldn't, wouldn't look at Ty anyway because they're down here on their monitor <laughs> swiping through whatever the heck they're playing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we balance the screen time with our kids. We definitely give them not not very much at all during the week. We definitely let them get their time on the weekend. But I, it, it the whole thing is that that's the world that they're going to be living in. That world's only going to get deeper and deeper and deeper. So I so think I, about I, the kids that can actually look at somebody and communicate a message how much of an advantage they'll have. Because if the world is going that way, which you're absolutely right, if I have the ability to communicate a message and sell my product or service or sell myself, what kind of an advantage do I have? Yeah, big one. Big one. Going back to that, I liked when you said the drip campaign, like Mm -hmm. almost a personalized drip campaign. How many people are on your drip campaign currently Great question and how how do you manage that and what would you do if you don't have a family you don't have kids it's just like you and you don't know anyone you're in a new town how do you how do you go about starting that that first kind of get your get your voice out there get your mind you know get your personality in front of these people yeah I've got probably about seven or eight on the drip campaign right now okay. um, those seven or eight probably have a portfolio and I call them doors you know, because if it's if it's a house, it's got a front door. If it's a if it's a quad, it's got four doors. Those seven or eight individuals probably have a portfolio of at least thirty to a hundred doors each. Okay. So within those seven, I've got access to maybe five or six hundred doors that I'm looking to purchase. Some of these people I've never even seen their stuff. I just know they have income producing real okay. estate. So if to answer your question, if I don't have a family or kids, like the helicopter picture. Take a picture in front of the helicopter, put a wrench in your hand, this is me. You, if you're looking for jobs in the golfing world, you'd have a golf club in your hands, you'd be on a golf cart, whatever, and you're sending that out to the, to the golf clubs that you wanna work for. So I think it's your personality, whatever you- Personalized golf ball in the mail with the resume. <laughs> I wouldn't hire that person. That's not a bad idea. No? Put your, put your name on the golf ball, send it over to them. So yeah, so anything that you can of lakes, think right? of- People can find it. So here, here, here's, here's a cool idea, I teach this at, at University of Florida. Send your resume in a box. So I'll give you one story. 
guy wants to interview, he wants to work for Jay-Z up in New York. He takes my box idea and he takes it to the extreme. So he goes and gets a box. And I'm talking about like a box that's two feet tall by two feet wide. He puts his resume in there, clear coat bounded, spiral bound, puts it in there with all the peanuts, the stuffing, and he sends it to Jay-Z. They can't even get the, the, the box. It wasn't a two by two, but they, the box was so big, they couldn't even get it through the front door. He's sending his resume. I told him to do this, right? <laughs> they have to take the, the, the resume around to the back of the building. Like I came in through the back here today because of the loading dock. They bring the resume in and they open it up and I told him to write this note. Now that I've got your attention, let me get the attention of your clients for you. He drives on spring break from Gainesville to New York, goes up there to show face. They're not answering his call, I've, you know, because it's, it's Jay-Z's deal. You know, they're not picking up the phone. He drives up there, gets there, asks for the, the hiring manager and tells, tells the lady at the front desk his name. And of course, what does she deal with every day? Phone calls and packages. She says, are you so-and-so? And he's like, yeah, that's me. You're, you're the one who sent the, the box with your resume? Yeah, Justin's in here, let me go get him real quick. <laughs> Goes in, Justin comes out. Hey, and, and think about the story. He already sent the box, he's already got attention. He just drove 16 hours or 18 hours from Gainesville on spring break to come up here and meet the guy. You think the guy gave him more than five minutes of time? Absolutely. He spends an hour and a half with the guy. The guy invites him to lunch. They go to lunch together. He gets the internship and he works for Jay-Z now. He's 27, 28 years old. This was Smart. six or seven years ago. He calls me about every year about how to go through his annual review, what he should have in it, what we're talking about bringing revenue to the to the conversation, what he's doing for Jay-Z, what he's doing for that business. How strong of a connection is that for you? Do you think you can get Jay-Z on a podcast? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. We'd have to okay, put, we'd have to send a box and get his attention. But, okay. but 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 think about I call it a pattern interrupt. It's when it's when you walk on the car lot and the guy says, "Hey, Ty, how you doing?" And you're like, "All right, dude." I know you want to sell me something. How do yeah. I how do I change that pattern and that message? Now all of a sudden I got a box with a kid's resume in it. Why the heck did I did it for a job that I don't do because I always go back out and test what I'm doing in the real world. So I did it two or three years ago and I sent mine in a box and I called the guy, you know this guy, I won't mention his name, okay. but he gets the box and when I'm in the interview and I'm just going through the practical things to do it to see if what I'm teaching at UF works, he talks about his daughters playing with the peanuts that were out of the box for a week solid. He says those things were all over my house. You think I was memorable in the interview because he remembered the box, his daughters played with the peanuts, they were all over the place. So anything that you can do to separate yourself from the pack is, you know, we, we're kind of, again, we, we're going a lot of different directions. We're talking about real estate, we're talking about interviewing, but that is something that's very important, separating yourself from the pack. You guys do it with new scooters for less, your branding, your, your your company, the way you guys handle things, it's different than what the norm is. And that's why people like you guys. That's why people are over here. That's why you got a popsicle out there that's four feet long that says 250 tickets hanging in the lobby because that's different, that's cool. People wanna be associated with that. Yeah. And I think that's why we've been able, kind of going back to the beginning of our conversation, I think that's one of the ways we've been able to really um, keep revenues growing, even though margins might be shrinking. Like we're selling, we're selling more units and able to deliver more value in the actual product itself. So a lot of people might not know this, but when we sell a scooter, you know, we're likely to win over our competition and, and not only locally, but regionally, you know, somebody who might live in Tampa or South Florida or something who's gonna be, hey, let me buy a scooter and bring it to Gainesville versus just buying it in Gainesville. We're able to, to win on that because we say, hey, like we're gonna give you free deliveries and pickups 
in Gainesville with your service, like with service with your scooter, like for free, it's included, right? So if you run over a nail, get a flat. If your daughter runs over a nail, gets a flat tire, we're gonna come up, we're gonna come out, pick it up, bring it back, and that there's not gonna be any charge for that towing. You're gonna get a discounted labor rate. If it has to come in for a warranty repair, we're going to provide your daughter with a rental scooter while it's in for warranty. We do that. So we, we provide all this extra value mm-hmm. in the price. So looking at you know the competitor across the street selling the same same thing to 2000, okay, like yeah, we're here, here with price, but you were providing all this extra value so we're able to get the sale. Um, and, then we, and then we pass that on, we say, hey, if you buy, if you buy, uh, you know, if, if you sell the scooter four years from now, you're finished with school and you sell it to somebody else, now that person's gonna get all the value. So it passes along, it stays with the scooter, not necessarily with the customer who bought it. And I love your idea about, you, you talked about having you know, a coffee place in here and just different things to kind of enhance the experience. And, and when you first told me that, I was like, why in the world would anybody drive from Tampa to come to Gainesville to get a scooter? But it's because of the experience. We did it in the bridal business for years. We had such good reviews and people were so amazed with our staff and wanted to come to that. I mean, it's a big deal to buy a scooter. It's a big deal to buy a wedding dress. So people wanna have this experience that's involved with that purchase. People are huge on experience right now and you guys are providing that. And I, It goes back to Red Ocean, Blue Ocean. The Red Ocean is Wendy's, McDonald's, and Burger King are all on the same street corner, and they're all selling the same product, and the blood's in the water, it's red. Here comes Colin, and the name of his business is Five Guys, and he's charging eight, nine, 10 bucks for a burger. You're in a blue ocean now, because you've completely separated yourself from these three guys because of experience, price point, and whatever you're doing. You're going after a different client now. And so if you can go in a blue ocean, it's a lot better than swimming around in a red ocean. So you guys are doing that with competition because you're different than them. If the customer can't see any difference, there is no difference. I'm just gonna buy from this guy, he's closer. So you're constantly trying to to, to separate yourself. One thing I wanted to get back to, so on money management for entrepreneurs that are listening, I asked you this before we went on the show, where's all your money go? Does it go into one account? And you said no, it goes into? A couple of accounts we have. And what are they called? Operating and reserve. Operating reserved. And I said, Colin is reserved a true reserve. And he smiled real big. And he said, Well, unless operating gets a little short, I have to steal from reserve. So, um, profit first is a is something that you guys ought to look up if you're listening to the show. I gave Colin a copy of this. This is this is great. If you're an entrepreneur and you own a business, you can even run your family like this. You can even save for a wedding. Um, my buddy Ip2 over here is getting ready to save for a wedding. So what you do is, for example, if, if um, $10,000 comes into your business for the month, most guys are gonna take that $10,000 and they're gonna put it in one account. And then they're gonna make decisions for the next 30 days on what's in that account, what they're gonna buy. Hey, we got a great advertising opportunity for you. I look in my account, I say, okay, I got $6,000 in there, I'm gonna do this. And then I gotta pay the light bill or I gotta, I gotta make payroll. So I'm running my entire business out of that one account. I did that in the bridal business for eight years the wrong way, all in one account, making decisions out of that. I see this a couple years ago, and this is another reason why we were able to have a a successful exit strategy. That 10,000 now comes in, I've got four accounts. Think about this for a second. You guys are listening to this, so this might be hard to visualize, but if you take 10,000, you draw a circle and you put 10,000 on it and draw four legs off of it. The first leg is owner's pay. This is what you're gonna pay yourself. If you own your own business, pay yourself. So you're gonna pay yourself 50% of that 10,000. Okay, so 5,000 goes into the owner's account. And it, on my Bank of America online profile, it says owner's pay. 
So I know that 5,000 of that 10,000 goes in there. The other one, 15% of that 10,000 is gonna go into taxes. Any of you entrepreneurs, a lot of you guys haven't saved up your money for taxes and then the tax bill comes and it's $4,000, it's $6,000 and you're like, oof, how am I gonna pay this? You delay taxes, you incur interest, that's a nightmare. So put 15% of what you're making every month into a tax account. On your online profile on Bank of America, it says taxes, 15% goes in there. Your operating expense, you were talking about this, 3,000 of that 10,000 goes into your operating expense. This is how you're gonna pay payroll, this is how you're gonna turn the lights on, this is how you're gonna pay um, health insurance. This is how you operate your business out of this. And then the last one is profit. It's gonna be 5% of the 10,000. The profit is, I'm gonna put that over here in this account and that's the one I'm gonna build up to, see it all comes back to this. I'm gonna build it up to 10 to $15,000 so I can go make that real estate purchase. It's gonna take a while to build up, but I'm trying to, I'm, I'm making money over here, I'm making that 10 grand and now I'm gonna put it in these four different accounts. So the first account is owner's pay, second account is taxes, the third account is operating ex- expenses, that's how I'm gonna run my business out of that account. When I go to make a decision on my business, I will look at the operating expense account. Hey Colin, would you like to advertise in this magazine? Operating expense, let's see, I don't have any money for that. No, no thank you, can't do it right now because I'm trying to save money and profit, I'm trying to pay myself and I gotta put money away over here for taxes. If I don't do any of those three things, I'm in the rat race. You own your own business, but you're still in the rat race. You might as well go work for somebody else. And then the last one is profit. We're gonna build that profit account up, 15,000, 20,000, 25,000, and then I can go make that purchase. Stocks, I can buy stocks, I can buy bonds, I can buy real estate, I can buy storage units, I can buy something that's gonna create passive income. But if I don't have those four accounts, and he even makes you, this guy's so sick, he, he makes you go put the profit account at a different bank. <laughs> so I got three accounts at Bank of America, and then when I wanna shift that money around and cheat and put my reserves over my operating expense, I gotta drive across town to go to my profit account and pull that money out. So it makes you very disciplined on how you run your money, how you save it, and where you put it. Okay, but I don't mean to like beat up on this, <laughs> but, my problem is not profit, it's cash flow. Right. So like the the biggest issue for me is, you know, we just went through August, cash flow was great, profit was great, but now I'm heading back into November, December, all these college students are about to leave and I need I need what's in that reserve account to to keep my business afloat until I can get back to the next to the next season and it, I mean from a net from a net income perspective, we're good, <laughs> right. we're, we're doing really well. Right. So like, I mean, how do you balance, how do you put the cash flow measurement into this? Well, so you know your own business, you know when you're seasonal, so you're gonna have to tweak this formula to make sure that it works for you properly. Maybe it's not that exact percentage, maybe in August, as opposed to putting 30% in operating expenses for the month of August, you say, that month we're gonna put 75% into operating expenses because I need that nut for September, October, November. So you've tweaked the percentages. So you gotta, you gotta customize this to your business. That's a great question because okay. everybody's not making $100,000. All these entrepreneurs aren't making 100,000 or $10,000 every single month. Guess what, I made eight this month, I made 15 the next. And most people when they make 15, what do they go do? They go spend it. They don't put it in these accounts and delegate that, that money to where it should be going. So for you, on those big months, you've gotta change your percentage and stockpile 
one of those accounts. For you, it's operating expense because that's what you're going to need the next month that's going to be down, right? So you got to stockpile that in August and make sure it's big enough to help you get through September, October, November. And then the other thing is determining where to invest the money because you're saying, okay, you have that ten to 15000 now. Like maybe you go invest it in that piece of real estate. So I can tell you, if I had to guess, I'd say most people are reinvesting it right back into the business. For me, it usually comes in hiring another person. I'm kind of experiencing this with the media company right now. Like I'm like, I'm holding, I'm kind of holding on until January 1st, waiting waiting for January 1st to get here because I have a plan to bring in two, two full-time project managers so that, because I know my strength is, is selling and I know that right now I'm doing a lot of the account management myself, but if I can get out there and start selling, then I'm gonna be able to, to bring in more revenue for the business. So that business, um, let's see, we're, we're, we're ending October. That business made money this right month. Now. Yeah. You made some money this month, you have some revenue. Would it be a big deal if I took 5% of what you made in October and put it over here in an account and you never saw it again? 5% of it? Not, no. Not right so now. you just gotta get disciplined enough to be able to, when the money comes in, put it in these accounts, because 5% wouldn't hurt you, and then all of a sudden, six months from now, I say, hey Colin, I looked at your profit account, you got, you got $8,000 sitting over here, how'd that happen? You know what, I don't know, I just kept putting 5% over in that account. So you've gotta be disciplined with that, and I hear you, you're putting, you're putting 30% again, or you're tweaking your percentages back into the business, but you've gotta be disciplined enough to put it over here in these other accounts, otherwise, you're never gonna have, how many entrepreneurs are listening to this right now that say, that's great, how many of y'all have $10,000, $15,000 sitting in an account right now saying, I don't know what to do with this? Not many of you because you haven't been disciplined enough to put it over there. The first problem you wanna have is, what do I go buy because I now have the money? That's the problem you wanna have, not I don't have $15,000 sitting in this account, right Ty? And I, I don't know what to go buy. You need the money in the account and then the problem of what to go buy. But you won't miss the 5% if you put it over there, I promise. And if you do, tweak and customize your numbers, right? You said seasonal, everybody's seasonal. You gotta be able to, and most people don't write out the 12 months in advance, right? If you know August is gonna be the big money month, write it out and say that month, I'm gonna put this much, instead of 30% into my operating account, I'm gonna put this much in there. And then September it may change because of cash flow. So everybody's customizable. Cool, thanks man. Yeah man. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta wrap up. Um, any last words? I wanted to ask one thing about the uh, Newell Fox University. Yeah. So that's, there's a lot of different kind of leadership and coaching and all sorts of brand building types of things out there now. And it, it seems like a really great way to create a passive income. I'm wondering from your perspective, how are you gonna kind of differentiate yourself and your brand to be able to kind of peel through kind of the onslaught of the Facebook ads that I'm sure we all receive from Grant Cardone, you know, all these different people. Mm. What is, and it seems to, it's gonna be kind of resume building, how to get that job, how to look someone in the eye, talk to them, how to create a conversation. What is that, what is that university gonna look like? What, what can we look forward to? Yeah, it's been a, um, it's been something I've been working on. Um, as Colin said earlier, if you're not focused on one thing, um, it's, it's tough to get things to the, to the elite status. This is something that I've been tinkering with okay. for five or six years. I've gone to the thought of, do I go to the, the Power Five conferences 
and say, hey, let's white label this for you guys and, and give your students access to it because they need it and you guys pay me a freight every single month. Well, that was a boom splat because the universities are admitting that they aren't teaching what they need to be teaching at their career, career resource centers, sure. so they don't need Newell Fox University, even if we white label it. Then I went to, okay, let's give it away for free, let people nibble on it a little bit, like the content, and then they can come in and I get enough viewers then I can sell advertisement to those people that come in and look. So we are continually tinkering with and, and trying to figure out the revenue model on this. Yep. I haven't figured it out yet. The, the Newell Fox University, right now I'm getting parents that are just calling me one-on-one -on -one and saying, hey, I looked up Interview Coach, I found you, my son needs your help, he's graduating from the University of Florida as a finance major, can you help him? And I'll coach that kid for six months, onboard him, put him on a, a monthly, um, a monthly fee and, and I'll coach that kid up one-on-one. -on -one. That's not scalable, that's not the way to do it. I enjoy doing in that. So this has been kind of a constant tinker and trying to figure it out. If you have any good ideas for me on it, I'll definitely take them. But it's, um, there's a lot of noise out there and breaking through that noise yeah. and then trying to align yourself. Do I license it? Do I white label it? So I've had those conversations, but um, I would do real estate first before I did that. Yeah, okay. How do you know, how do you determine what to prioritize? I mean, when you have all these different things, I mean, is it, is it because you were like, okay, I noticed the rich, the rich, they're in real estate, so mm -hmm. you're like, I'm just gonna put that a priority, make that my priority? Yeah, I mean, my, my daily schedule, um, I have a weekly big three, and then I have a daily big three, and it was a planner, it's called Focus Planner, so it kind of taught me how to do this, so every day I've gotta check off what's, what was my big three today, and I, I you know, it goes to your annual goals of, hey, I wanna purchase at least 16 units this year. We actually just closed on 16 units um, yesterday. Cool, congrats. So um, that was one of my goals. And so you're constantly looking at that annual goal. Like I wanna knock five strokes off my, off my score. Well then daily, what are you doing to knock the five strokes off your score? And then at the end of the week, most of us, and this is a cool thing on the planner, most of us say, gosh, I didn't get this done, I didn't get this done, I didn't get this done. It makes you write down the three or four things you did get done that, that week so you can go back and look at that. So prioritization for me is what's the weekly big three and then what's the daily big three that I can check off. Today, one of my big threes was come do a great job on the podcast, so I hope I've accomplished that goal with you and Ty. But you know, just knowing what you're gonna do every day. And, and most people just wake up and say, all right, life, hit me with it, what do you got? Yeah. As opposed to hitting life. Being intentional right? about yes, it. being intentional is big. Got it. Hey, um, is this available online somewhere, this Profit yeah, First? Yeah, go to, go to Profit First. Um, this guy's name is Mike. It says, and you know who you know who turned me on to this? Alex Willis, one of your former guests. Alex so, Willis, episode so three. Profit, profit first. Um, and there's about uh, a five-page demonstration of what it is. And, and of course, he's going to try to sell you something as well. Everybody's selling that, but you, you can get some great free content off this. And as I walked you through that $10,000 a month example and where you put that in your accounts, that's that's the 30,000 foot view of that. That's how, that's why you wanna do that program. Got it. Here's what we'll do. We'll uh, scan this or we'll find a PDF of this and we'll put it on the website, whoagnv.com. Um, just go search for Newell Foxes. Like we have like a little article area there. Elias will make sure that this gets on there. PDF, profit first. Um, and so that'll be on there and you guys can download that PDF or, or save it or whatever. 
Sound good? Yeah. So, hey, dude. Thanks Thank so, you, man. Thanks so much for being here. Great How show. How can people Shannon. connect with you? Do you have newelfox.com or? Um, is my web is my website or am I? Uh, is it up? <laughs> is, my, is, my con, is my phone number on there? How should people connect with you? I don't think email? your phone number is on the website. Yeah, just email me, newelfox at gmail.com. All right, cool. Thanks again, man. And Gainesville World, thank you so much for listening. This is the WHOA GNV podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> See you later.